Good morning, church. How many of you have seen me before? Good. How many of you have not seen me before? How many of you wish you never see me again? Okay. Uh, I am delighted to be here at Norwood. I uh, heard much about your church uh, through two of my students, and now actually to be here is a delight indeed. Um, first of all, let me say I am very encouraged this morning uh, through worship. Uh, thank you, Chris, for leading us to the throne of grace and to see how you network together. Uh, Pastor Mark, whom I'm getting to know, uh, Alan, who actually drove me here, uh, we actually know a lot of people uh, together uh, 37 years ago. 37 years ago, a guy called Jack Wurtson from Word of Life Bible Institute in New York wanted to come to India but was denied his visa. And so he said, listen, if I can't go to India, maybe we could bring some young fellows from there and put the fire of God in their heart, uh, the word of uh, God under their belt and send them back. So 37 years ago, I was the young man, an electrician from South India, that Jack Wurtson brought to Word of Life Bible Institute. Uh, that's where I began, uh, coming from a Hindu background, uh, to know uh, about the Word of God. I also direct an organization uh, training called Outreach to Asia Nationals. And Elijah, as he kindly introduced me, I work in what they call restricted access countries. Countries like uh, Bhutan and North Korea and, and Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and so on. I'm not American, so I can get to some of those countries. Uh, is my accent all right? Can you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. This is the only one I have, so we've got to manage, <laughs> we've got to manage this morning. Um, and uh, I'm particularly thankful to spend this day uh, with you. Um, I'm excited when pastoral leaders are keen to fortify the church with biblical truth. I think this is so important. Paul wrote to Timothy in Ephesus, and he said, not only guard the gospel, the gospel, but make sure you get it out. And I think uh, to have a community church here, Norwood, who are both guarding the gospel, and I'll share a little bit about what that is, but also giving it out, uh, I am very, very excited. I'm looking forward to, uh, in some ways, partnering and see how we can get the gospel to the nations. You know, uh, America, God has blessed us so much in this country, isn't it? We have so much to live with, and yet so little to live for. We get what we want, and then we don't want what we got. When we're alone, we want to be in a crowd. When we're in a crowd, we want to be left alone. We've learned to walk on the moon, but we can't live in our homes. That's the paradox of our time. We've got so many time-saving devices and yet no time to do what's really important, to see people come to know Christ. But here's the challenge as I begin this little message, talk, preach, teach, whatever this is. And I'm so glad somebody's taking questions uh, in cyberspace, I think, while I'm talking. So uh, it's the only church you are allowed to uh, mess with your cell phones and encourage to do that. <laughs> this, is, this is really good. Uh, which thank you, Chris and team, for doing that. So you can constantly interact. I'm here. Uh, the, the whole day. Uh, I'm highly unemployed uh, today, uh, so I'll be happy. To, I think somebody is taking me out for lunch, uh, figuratively speaking. So uh, I, I'm uh, here at your uh, disposal. I live actually behind Dallas International Airport. That helps me to get to these countries, uh, and I commute to Liberty 
uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I teach almost between 500 to 1,000 students a day. Uh, and uh, they give me the big theology and global study classes. Liberty happens to be uh, perhaps, well, it is the largest Christian university on the planet right now. So it's uh, great. Uh, we are not going to the nations. Listen to this. The nations are coming into our neighborhood. So either way, we need to be able, competent, to communicate Christ. So uh, I think PowerPoints will come right there. Oh, there it is. Um, okay, nothing in front. Yeah, I think you can see it, and I will preach by faith and not by sight. How's that? Okay, this morning. Um, I've entitled today, um, A World of Religions, but Only One Savior. Um, Pastor and others have, uh, Mark has guided me into some of the main themes that I like to cover today. And uh, uh, I'm happy to discuss uh, issues that arise. I do not want to scratch where you're not itching. So uh, if it's pertinent, that's fine. I want to give you a big overview. I have spent over 30 years studying religions. And it's hard in 30 minutes to tell you what I know. But I'm going to give you a swashbuckling tour, as it were, uh, of the major religions of the world. And this is the approach I want to take this morning. I want to talk to us about the religions of the world, but let me start with a story. When I first became a follower of Jesus Christ, I went to get my hair cut in a barber shop. Satish was my barber in South India. And by the way, almost all the major world religions in the world were spawned out of that South Asian Indian context. Most, we have more Muslims in India than the entire Middle East put together. Did you realize that? Because we are 1.3 billion people. Uh, my mom uh, read somewhere that one out of every five is Chinese, so she stopped at four kids. Anyway, so <laughs> see me afterwards, I'll explain that. But, um, uh, I grew up with this, and I'm having my hair cut, and Satish, my barber, says to me, he called me father. He thought I was Roman Catholic. I wasn't even married, but he called me father. He said, aren't all religions the same? The God of our intuition. You call him Jesus now. You used to say Krishna. Somebody else says Allah. The fourth guy says Buddha, or maybe some Confucius guy. It is like climbing up a mountain. You climb from this side, I climb from the other side. Each of us sincerely put our effort as long as we get to the... Doesn't that sound right? Maybe you've had a similar argument, but that was the very first time it struck me that there may be many ways to God. And I began to think deeply... If I have decided to follow Jesus, how many of you have heard that song, I have decided to follow, no turning back? That was written by a Hindu prince. Did you know that? A Hindu prince in Assam wrote that song. In fact, the tune is a pagan tea plantation hymn. Did you know that? Next time you sing it, tell them that. All right, so uh, that's where the song comes from. So when I decided to follow Jesus, I said, well, let me find out what this is about. Who is Jesus? How come he excludes everything else? Now, all religions could be wrong. But if you inject Christianity or the claims of Jesus, all religions cannot be right. Think about that. 
the moment you affirm your commitment to Christ, you instantly and logically exclude every other religion to be the right way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How would you answer my Baba? You know, I did answer him the next time I went. I was a little bit careful because he had a knife in his hand, so I was very careful how I responded to his question. But I did say to him two things. I said, you know what, Satish, you are right. No matter what religion, the God of your intuition, you will one day go to God. And he was so happy. He said, wow. I said, but you will, all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all go to God one day. But I say, if you want to go to God as your father rather than your judge, there's only one way, and that's through his son. Later on, I explained to him, we all may be climbing and doing it sincerely, but maybe we're all climbing on different hills. Think with me as we go through this series. Uh, brother, would you mind just putting the whole slide up, the whole page, and then I'll just talk to that. Uh, why must we be into religions? Very quickly, I often travel uh, to these countries I teach and preach in, and people on the flight usually ask me, what do you do? And the moment I say to them, I, te I teach systematic theology, they, they think I just swallowed some frog or something. You know, like, what in the world is that? Uh, then I say, I teach, and they say, what do you teach? And I say, religion, and they say, I am not into religion. Now, here are some reasons why we ought to be into religions. Why should we be into religions? Let me explain a few reasons very quickly. First and foremost, and I wish we had more time, that this would be more of a dialogue, and you know, we can have question and answer, but I think there's a time later we could do it. So let me just run down a few things that my students will tell me as to why they take my classes, like Elijah, in world religions and apologetics. First question is, there are religions, and for whatever reason, right or wrong, there are clash of cultures and civilizations and faith. Most of the hot, boiling points of political warfare is actually based on religious feelings and apathy. It's very interesting. You take the major issues in the world today, you will see religion behind them. Not only has religion given us a lot in terms of science and technology and all that stuff, and I agree with Samuel Huntington's thesis from Harvard that today, the next world war will not be some biomedical warfare. It will be based on religious fundamentalisms. That is a powerful thesis. So we ought to be because this is not just rumors and of war. This is reality. Right now, Syria. Try and excavate and see what's the heart of that problem. You'll see religion drawn into it. Second, very quickly, uh, it's our identity. I mean, if you heard the atheist, you said, thank God I'm an atheist. I mean, everybody believes in some kind of ultimate reality. And it's our worldview. That's where we belong. We are in neighborhoods. We are people who think. We are people who feel. But you know what else? We are people who deeply believe. But what do we believe? And why do we believe what we believe is very important. Well, 
If you're going to work in community, in society, no matter which society you are, and you're looking for common good, or maybe the good of others, if you are a community church, you better be in, interested in what the community believes, in their religions. I mean, think of this. Uh, when you think about uh, Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch, did you know one of the highest deportations of Ethiopians outside Addis Ababa is just seven miles down from where I live, from Dallas, in a place called Manassas. Did you know that? So many Ethiopians. So you don't have to go to Ethiopia to reach an Ethiopian. You may have to drive down the road. Question, Norwood, are you prepared to do that? Do you know what they believe if they are from a Muslim background? There's some Baha'i groups. And in this tonight, I'll be talking about cults and sex. How is that? Not sex, sects. Okay. How, how, how is that? I mean, how do you relate to that? Very, very important. But you know, more than anything else, I found in apologetics and studying other religions, it deepens my own faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. How do you know something is good and right until and unless you've compared it to something that's not? So comparative religion or studies is a way in which you yourself can deepen your faith and trust in the God you believe in, whatever that is. I call it the Christian discipleship of the mind. We cannot follow Christ until we are fishing for men. And I must say to local churches, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you what? Did you say keepers of aquariums? No, he said, fishers of men. And I think in Norwood, in order to do evangelism and outreach, you must be able to connect to the context, particularly religion and communicate them. Next slide. What is religion? Now, it's very interesting. That is an actual picture of a, a religious leader in South India. Now, I often ask my students, look at that picture. Some of you are already smiling. Uh, uh, not this, uh, brother, the, the one before that. This, the, the, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, just, just, when you look at this picture, what does it remind you of? I mean, do you see the guy? Is he rich or is he poor, by the way? He doesn't have a sh shirt on, so, but do you see he's having a diamond ring? He's a very rich pujari, like a guru. Do you think he's traditional or you think he's modern? Yeah, he's got a cell phone. Do you think he's materialistic or spiritual? He's got holy water from the Ganges to sprinkle, but he's also got holy smoke. I mean, how do you reach people like that? So religion is a complex thing. Now, what is the definition of religion? Can we come up with a definition of religion? Well, there's many definitions of religion sociologically, psychologically. When you think of anthropology and all that, I'll, I'll leave that for another time. I'm happy to answer that. But here's a simple way to understand religion. Religion, first and foremost, I believe, is an encounter. Coming from the root or etymology religio, it literally means to be awed in the presence of something. That's religion. It literally means to be attached, yoked. We get the word yoked. For me, when I think of Christianity, people say, well, Christianity is not a religion. Well, in a sense, it is. I know it's a relationship primarily. But it's a relationship that leads with a yoking, where Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, come to me. All ye that labor heavy laden, I will give you what? The rest of life for the rest of life. And then he said, 
in verse 29, take my, there you go, yoke. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find this rest. So we're talking about this. It's, a, it's an encounter with something that is unseen, and it takes faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things that are not yet seen. So there is this unseen being or reality that every one of us long to be yoked with, to be in the presence of. In Hinduism, we call it darshan. You go there in the presence of a deity, you actually burn incense, and there you sense there is this holy ground spot. All religions have that. Religion also is an experience. And uh, this has been a big move, uh, particularly in the last decade or so. I would say this generation, people like Henry Blackaby and others have shown, this is actually experiencing God. It's not just knowing cognitively about God, it's actually experiencing God. Religion is better caught than taught. Last week, uh, I took uh, my class. We went to the uh, Massachusetts Avenue, the, the, the oldest mosque that we have there in D.C. We went to the Soegaike uh, Buddhist temple. We were part of it. We attended the Bat Mitzvah in the big synagogue there, in the Hebrew synagogue and on the street. And then we went to the Guru um, Gurudwar for Sikhs and so on. Do you have Sikhs in this area? All right, so we went there, and our student, Elijah, you've been to that. I mean, we, we go and we actually experience what that is. But you know what? Religion is not only what you believe, it's how you behave because of that. Did you know most religions don't even have a word for religion in their culture? Because religion is a way of life. They haven't defined it. Go to Japan. What is the religion of Japan? Answer. Shinto, not Shintoism, Shinto. But did you know till Buddhism came, until Confucianism from China entered, they didn't even name it. It was the way of the kamis, the Chen Tao, the way of the gods, the kami gods. Only when other religions came, they said, like, how do we define what we believe? So in many cultures, we don't even have a word that defines. In the Bible, where do you find the word religion? Don't let me down, you're a Bible church. All right, so we do find the word religion, at least translated in the English, where it says James 1.27, this is true religion, you know, where you take care of the widows and the orphans and all that. Paul, and we're going to look at it, went to Athens and says, I perceive that you guys are really religious around here. And then he tells them about the unknown God and so on. But here's the point for today. This message, this day of assessment, is to go beyond an encounter and experience and that expression of faith. It is to actually evaluate what is truth. What is the reality? If there are so many religions, how come this Sunday morning, the resurrection day, we believe in one savior? I think that's the heart of what we want to ask. And I know, Chris, there'll be questions regarding what we call the uniqueness and finality of Jesus Christ. Let me put it right off the bat. As far as I'm concerned, Christianity is only one thing, Christ. Paul put it in six single syllabus, syllables when he said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Now, every religion has founders. You take out the founders, the religion still continues based on their precepts, right? You take Christ. Do you have Christianity? Do you all agree? Christianity for us 
is essentially an issue of Christological value. Who do you say that I am? So this morning, Pastor Mark, all I want to do is to talk about Christ and other religions and to see, to inform us, but also to, in many ways, involve us in the mission of God, Messiah Day. Is that okay? Are we clear where we're going today? All right, I'm here, we can answer. So I'm going to rush through this. The question is, why so many religions? I can go back to the Tower of Babel. I can talk about culture and ethnicity. But let me put it this way. The writer to the Ecclesiastes, with all the wisdom, said, listen, God has put eternity in our hearts. St. Augustine, in a classic sense, said, within every human being, Amago Dei, there is this God-shaped vacuum. And every heart is restless until God himself rests in it. That's why we're religious. And Chris was right. We were created to worship. And you say, well, I thought you were a missionary. Yeah, missions exist because worship doesn't. People don't worship the one true God. That's why we've got to take the name to the nations. Does that make sense? That's why we're studying religions this morning. We are to be image bearers who put God on display. Everything we do. And I don't sec it's, you know, drive a wedge between the so-called secular and sacred, because they are one when we reflect the glory of God. That's our created purpose. Next slide. So let me look at something. I'm not going to go into details, but just leave you with this PowerPoint. By the way, this PowerPoint will be made available uh, to whoever wants. I'm from Asia, uh, and uh, in Asia, copyright means right to copy. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, not really, uh, but uh, yeah, you can acknowledge it, but uh, let me just tell you, this is, this is a condensation of uh, how I teach uh, religious apologetics in, at Liberty and other places where I teach, like even Word of Life I teach there and so on. Um, here's, here's what I'm saying. First and foremost, worldview matters. It really makes a difference. The lenses through which you perceive reality and your role and place within it. We're humans. There are existential needs. How do you see the world within which you're trying to make sense of things? How do you perceive it? How do you understand it? How you engage and find your place in it and interpret it is very important. All I want to quickly mention, you first and foremost need to have clear logic. Our faith is not based on human fallen reason, but our faith is reasonable, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, you know that verse, I'll deal with it in the evening. But Peter says, listen, always be ready to give to anybody who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And do that with, with gentle godliness and reverential fear. Did you know my Muslim friends won't even allow me to translate the Quran from Arabic? They don't want to argue. Predetermination and God's will, inshallah, is so strong that you can't even argue. Just do it. Nike. Whereas for us, listen to what the Bible says. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, let us reason together, says Yahweh. Our God invites us to engage our minds 
when it comes to understanding the message of the gospel. Not to disengage it. That's the problem with cults. I'll come to that in the evening. My fear for evangelicals is that we got two minds. The first one we've lost. And the second one has gone looking for it. <laughs> I am so pleased that in our church you allow space for us to think deeply with scripture on the things of God. Two passages, and then I'll continue with my slides. This truth should be coherent, means it should hold together. It should be consistent internally what we believe and externally how we behave. And existentially, how we live is very important. Judaism, for example, Confucianism, is not even thinking about doctrines like systematic. Who cares? They are concerned more about ethics than theology. How you live out your faith is more important than signing a statement of faith, which many of us Baptists uh, do. I've come from, I'm actually from an Anglican background because of the British influence in India. But they wouldn't let me plant churches quickly, so I quickly became a Baptist and uh, was able to plant churches. You know the difference between a Baptist and a terrorist, right? You can negotiate with a terrorist. Um, <laughs> so the next, the, 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 the important thing, is that okay to joke in church? Is that all right? Okay. Um, yeah, all right. Just checking with the leaders now. Okay. But, but I think religion also needs to be what they call critical or self-critical. I do not like arrogant evangelicals who think we've got the answer and everybody's dying and go to hell. Listen, you can win an argument and lose the person. What value is that? So I think it's very important to have not only unity in what we do, but humility in how we do it. Be gracious. Imagine when I went back from America with my two master's degrees and earned three doctorates after that, and told my people in India, they're wrong and I'm right. And they say, are you kidding? You went to America for four years and you come back and tell us what we believe for over 4,000 years is wrong and they got it right. America's only 200 years old anyway. What do they know? When it comes, what do you, I'm, I mean, you see what I'm saying? We've got to be humble in the way we communicate our faith. Many of us are not reaching our neighbors because we are plain arrogant. There's another reason why we're not reaching our neighbors. You know what? We're ignorant. We don't know what we believe. And we act with insolence. And that doesn't help either. So we need to be critical, but be what I call confessional Christians. Confession is not something homolegio say the same thing everybody else is saying. It's saying the same thing that God would say about his son and show that as our light shines wherever he places us. Does that make sense? So that's my approach in Christian apologetics when it comes to other religions. Next slide. Now, what are the major religions in the world? Uh, I, again, this is just, a, a, I feel even embarrassed and intimidated to even mention this in one slide. But let me tell you that there are at least three or four categories of religions. When I teach religions, I teach them in epochs or times, but also in terms of geographical development, because religions are not only organically linked in terms of family resemblance, but they are also historically developed in terms of not just 
synchronous but diachronous, and it comes down through time. Anyway, why did I use those words? I just want to impress you. So now, um, let me just put it this way. There are three major clusters. Now, there are, there are, there's folk religion. We used to call it animism. You don't say that anymore. We say folk religion or indigenous, aboriginal. There's all kinds. But everybody is tribal. Did you know that? Have you watched a football game? Yes, everybody's tribal. So there's a sense in which there is the spirituality in us. But when you talk about the major religions of the world, there are four, if not three major streams. The first stream I call yogic religion. Yogic religion essentially came and stemmed out of the Indus Valley. That's why when the Jesuits came to India, they called the people around the Indus River Hindus. That's where we get the name Hinduism, from the river Indus. Most of the ancient religions developed around river valley civilizations. Even Abraham in Mesopotamia, the Euphrates and the Tigris, or the Nile and the gods of Egypt stuff, right? So these were where religions spawned. The yogic religions believe in samsara. Their worldview is cyclic, goes round and round. Like Lion King, Sima Lingza. You see, I told you, yeah, a lot of this has come to America in a new age. But it's the old lie of Hinduism. We'll come to that in the evening when I talk about Scientology and all the other stuff we're going to talk about. But um, uh, this is where you have this faith. The oldest existent religion is a cluster of beliefs called Hinduism. Many gods, and there is no difference between creator and creation. The Atman or the soul is part of the Paramatman or Brahman and merged into this. So the goal is to have nirvana. That's not a rock group, by the way. You just become, you blast into this impersonal being. And your karma, your good or bad deeds, help you either to go up or to go down. If you messed up and you have bad karma, check your karma credit now. If you go bad, bad karma, you may be born in a lower form. That's why for years I did not eat beef. It could be my grandpa. Holy cow, don't say that to him. Okay. Now from there grew Hinduism, from Hinduism came Buddhism. And when the Muslim religion came to the Indian subcontinent, there was a syncretic move between the Muslims who came as invaders under the Mughals and the Hindus who lived in that land. And a third religion emerged, that's Sikhism. Sikhism is the youngest of all the religions. They are soldiers and saints at once. Something to be admired. They are ones who bring together against the caste system that Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, formed and so on. Buddhism, by the way, is the only other religion apart from the Abrahamic faith that's missionary. Did you know that? It's the most popular, favorite religion of America. Zen Buddhism and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Can you believe that's one of the most popular books? So this understanding, and I think that's because of the American society, we're so stressed, and uh, everybody needs to have some kind of a meditative therapy. So whether it's uh, Pilates or yoga, whatever, guys, we do, I mean, we, we somehow want to become one and vegan and everything else, and we talk about that in the evening. Now, the second stream are the, what we call the Abrahamic faiths. Now, the Abrahamic faith, Father Abraham had many sons, well, actually, two of them are the ones we have issues today. 
And sometimes I wonder, why did God really help Hagar and, and Ishmael? Uh, we wouldn't have the Middle East crisis. But you know, God has an amazing plan. Why did God revive and give them oil? I don't understand. I mean, you could have shut that down, right? But God in his eternal process, and by the way, these are our friends. Our Muslims are our friends to win to Christ. They are not simply foes. You need to differentiate between a Muslim and a jihadist. Not all jihadists are Muslims, and not Muslims are not all jihadists. You know what I'm saying? So you've got to be very careful when you see uh, anybody with a beard without a mustache, don't think he's Al-Qaeda. We are so Islamophobic in this country. We are not going to win our Muslim friends if we have that attitude. We've got to be careful. Yes, I know a drop of poison in a glass of milk will mess the whole thing up. I understand that. But I, uh, that's one of the reasons. Maybe you want to ask questions on you know, how to approach this whole thing. I'm sure you have Muslim neighbors uh, in this area, right? Yeah. So that's where we come uh, to the, the, that set of faith. Now, the, the next uh, group or cluster is from the largest of all nations in the world, the Chinese religions. The Chinese religions were so much into nature and beauty, Taoism. Lao Tzu started Taoism. We don't even know if he was a real person. He got so fed up with the warring states, he just wanted to escape. So he drives out of the gate, and the gatekeeper says, hey, hold on, Lao Tzu, old man. Can you, can you at least tell us how do you regulate society so we can live together in harmony, in balance? And he actually dictates the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching, next to the New Testament, is the most translated work in the world. Did you know that? How many of you read the Tao Te Ching? One and a half. Now tell me, again, I hope Pastor doesn't mind. How come we go and shove tracks into people and say, this will take you to heaven, but we've never cared to crack open the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Granth Sahib, the Analects, the Tao Te Ching. You see what I'm saying? We live an entire life and we've never read any one of their sacred texts. Not even, I'm not saying believe it, but at least know about the Bhagavad Gita. Is that wrong? I mean, can they do that, Pastor Mark? He said yes. So listen, uh, again, I'm not asking you to subscribe to anything, but just like you would read a novel, read the Kojiki of, of the Shinto religion, the Nohinji. These are great creation myth stories, but read them. I feel very bad because Christians are so illiterate when it comes to those of other faiths. We, we don't even know what they believe. But we want to give them the good news. We don't know what the bad news is. Anyway, moving on. I just want to say the last set I will deal tonight because we're going to look at the New Age movement, which is, I think, at the heart of most of the cults. My title for tonight is... Christian, Christianity and cults, the subtitle is Religion Made in the USA. Did you know every cult in the world, every major cult was born in America? Did you know that? Tell me one cult that was not born in America. One major cult. Go ahead. Now, have you thought why? 
Why is it that the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Christophers, whatever, Seventh-day Adventists, the Scientologists, why is it that people come, even Reverend Moon comes from Korea to start his cult, the Unification Church, he comes to America. What is this Eddie Murphy stuff coming to America? I mean, why is this soil so flavorable for cult? Could it be the prosperity gospel? Could it be the human potential movement? You know what? I'll tell you what. I'll give you the answer. I think this country, I thank God, if it wasn't for America, I wouldn't be educated in the scriptures. I told you that. I came to this. I owe so much. It's the land of the, and the home of the. The answer may be that. Our understanding of freedom and individuality. We may be the land of the free, but I want to say, church, we are no longer the home of the brave. We have not stood for biblical truth. And in the name of tolerance, we've actually put truth on the scaffold and wrong on the throne. And I'm so glad churches like you take that up and do something about it. Now, I don't want to go into details, but I'll flip through the religion so that you know what it is, and then you can start thinking about it. Uh, Hinduism, one of the oldest religions. Who was the founder? We don't know, but there it is. Uh, there is no one creed, there's no one holy book. You have the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, and all kinds of stuff, but Hinduism's a way of life. We have Judaism, that came, we orchestrated closely to that. It's the oldest of all the monotheistic faiths, the faiths that believe in one God. And then we have Taoism uh, from China, one of the old ones, the whole understanding of yin-yang, go with the, roll with the, you didn't know that you were a Taoist, did you? Anyway, so Taoism. Confucianism is all about ethics. Confucius wasn't even a religious leader. He died at 78 miserable that he didn't have a job with the emperor. Did you know that? He divorced his own wife, had two sons, didn't even care for their father. Yet today you can't get a civil position in China until you pass a course on Confucian ethics. Did you know that? Hundred years later, Mencius comes, they sit down and say, you remember the master said, the master said, his name, Confuzo, or Master Kong. And we've actually anglicized that to Confucius. And within a hundred years, he's worshipped as a god. Wow. Something about that. Study every founder, they had a problem with their marriage and their kids. Isn't that interesting? Siddhartha Gautama, the guy who started Buddhism, he actually was born in India because it was all one. Now it's in Lubini in Nepal where I go every year. I mean, he ran away, left his wife and son and the big palace to go and meditate under a Baudhi tree and become enlightened. That's where we get the word Buddhism, which means enlightened or awakened one. And we have Baudhistvas who follow that. We have the Mahayana, the big vehicle, which is much more secular, and the Hinayana or the elder rule which is much more strict. So the Buddhist center we went in DC, they're not gonna be shaven with saffron robes, they're gonna look like Jackie Chan, you know, and it's amazing. So don't be deceived by external appearances alone. Very different. Uh, Jainism, the one of the most uh, nonviolent of all religions, uh, whether it is Mahatma Gandhi, Ahimsa, nonviolence, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Every one of them have ahimsa, nonviolence, as a weapon that was greater than the sword. By the way, Jesus told Peter that, put away your sword. 
Something to learn from these religions. Well, next slide, we have Christianity right on top, and then followed by Shinto. Uh, often, uh, religion is linked with land. There is this uh, off in country separation of church and state. But in countries like Japan, till World War II, they worshiped the emperor. In order to get into the World Trade Organization and for trade and commerce, they had to denounce that. That was a big shame honor situation. But still, like the queen in England, they have their own emperor that descended from Amata Arasu with you know, Isagami and Isanami bringing the sun gods. The land of the rising, yeah, they, the whole world was centered for them in the land. Uh, sounds like being Ameriocentric. We think the great dollar runs the whole world. You'll be surprised. We have that same mentality and a form of patriotism or nationalism which thinks everybody else is wrong, America's got it right. I think we don't need to police the world, but we have a gospel to take to the nations and see them come to know Christ. So Sikhism I mentioned and the New Age movement. Now very quickly, every religion have five features. I want to talk about five features, and then I want to give you four questions and answers, and then three non-negotiables, two destinations, and one savior, and we're all done. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. All right, let's start with five. Five sacred features in every religion. Behind every religion, there is what we call a meta-narrative. We call it myths. Now, in religions, when you use the word myth, it doesn't mean some kind of a fairy tale. It means a story that governs their belief system. So even the nativity or creation in religion in the Bible can be seen as a myth, a story that was handed down that shapes our belief system. So when you hear the word myth, don't think, ah, oh, that's, no, it is not. Now, usually that is surrounded with the life and the teachings of the founder. So whether the founder of the Jews is who? Not really, because Abraham has three nations under that. They usually go back to Moses. The law came through Moses. That's why we have traditionalism. And, and they asked Jesus, are you greater than Moses? He said, Moses. I said, but I say unto you. What? So Moses. So uh, we have founders and their faiths. And that shaped their thinking. I just reviewed the movie called Paul the Apostle. Have you seen that? You don't see movies in this church? You do? Okay. Or, I mean, it's, it's actually a good movie. To understand biblical truth, particularly Pauline theology, justification by faith alone, grace that is sufficient in our every need, and a sure hope of life eternal. That was all Pauline. And he fought the good fight. He was faithful to the faith, he was faithful to the fight, and he was faithful to the very finish. And I'll talk about that uh, tonight and how we need to do that. Great movie. So Paul, I think, was the founder of Christianity. Jesus wasn't a Christian. You realize that, right? Yeah? Some of you are doing the Indian thing. Maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> Jesus didn't, was not the founder. I mean, the followers of Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, two weeks ago, I took my class to Jerusalem and spent time in Israel and studied the life of Christ. I tell you, no other religion in the world had such historical evidence. I mean, when we went to Caesarea Maritama by the shore and you see this huge stone, and it's right there inscribed that under Pontius Pilate, who was the governor uh, under Augustus, 
there was this one Jesus from Nazareth. I mean, can you believe that 2,000 years we still have that? That's amazing. Trust me, I've been doing this for 30 years. There's no other religion in the world that has such credibility, archaeologically, historically. This is amazing. So every has stories and teachings. Now, there is what they call sacred time and sacred space. That's why you came here. Why didn't you sit at home and watch, uh, I don't know, Austin or something? Because you believe that there's a place in which we gather. Uh, I'm very, very careful that we don't become casual with Christianity. Uh, some people say, I'm going to church, and they think they're going to Starbucks with Jesus. You know, I'm like, please. Are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm being very serious. I think we need a balance. We're, go we're going to the other extreme. We come to church as though some cat dragged us in, you know. Are you kidding me? Go to the mosque and see how they prostrate themselves. Come to the Hindu temples and see how they approach their deity. Not with this nonchalant stuff. There is a sense of sacred place and space and time. Every religion has festivals. We too do, but how is that lived out? Then every religion has sacred scriptures. That's why I encourage you to do it. The word has been spoken, but that's an open canon. It has to be enscripturated. And that you can see why it's important. Because you can objectively deal with truth, not just some subjective experience. That's why I'm very concerned about the hyper-charismatic churches, where you're not grounded in biblical truth. You need that. Fourth, every religion have what they call sacred community. And uh, this is the gathering. We have initiation rites. We have sustenance. Like, you may be upset with this, but baptism is an initiation rite for Christians. That's where we publicly declare our internal faith. Uh, communion, the Eucharist, or whatever you call it, is where we say we belong to Christ. Christ belongs to us. Stuff. Very important. And here's my important thing in sacredness. Every religion proposes a way to God. Salvation is holistic. It's not just saying a prayer or signing a card or raising a hand. It is metanoia. It is a repentant change in lifestyle that is evident. Something you not only live for, something you're willing to die for. What is that way of salvation? Is it good works, karma? Is it kismat, God's will, inshallah? Or is it Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are we saved through faith. Not of ourselves, of works. And we look at that tonight at Cults. Lest we can both. It is the gift of God. But verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. So are we saved by works or are we saved by grace? Is it works plus grace or is it grace minus works? Answer? None of the above. That's where Elijah gets it right in my class. It is a faith that works. And this is why we are not effective, because we have faith, but no works. We are his poem, and oh, his poem, his workmanship. And that's what I think. All right, very quickly, four realities. I'm not going to deal with this, but in apologetics, uh, this is where we are very keen to do this. Paul is in, on, mount, uh, on top of the Areopagus, and if you see the change in his approach. I hope we in Norwood adopt this. You say, what, adopt what? 
For example, the first verse we read when the church uh, is, is uh, becoming missional is in the context of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. When they tell Peter and John, shut up, don't preach in that name. You remember that? They went into the temple. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter and John said, listen, you guys decide. But I tell you what, we have to obey God rather than man. And he puts it very bluntly in verse 12. For there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be what? Saved. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were uncouth, unlearned, didn't go to school, but they had been with Jesus. Could they say that of members at Norwood? We see Christ in them. That's their hope of glory. I think that's very powerful. But when Paul comes to Asia, Asia Minor, Europe, his whole strategy changes because he has this vision in Troas of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. You remember that? He didn't know where to go. So he was not disobedient and he crosses the agency and he goes to this place called Philippi. So instead of finding a man from Macedonia, which I believe was Alexander the Great, they had so many idols of that guy there. Instead of that, he says, now could there be any religious person? He says, if there's a Jew, Paul always went to the urban city and he went to the Jews first. So he says, could I find somebody there? He says, ah, let me see. There may be a Jewish person. If there's a Jewish person, hmm, they may be by running water for bar mitzvah. So he goes there and he finds Lydia. You remember that? Lydia, the the very rich woman from Thyatira has another branch of her business in Philippi. Philippi was the retired colony for Roman officers, like the Florida of the old days. And I'm serious. That's where they went. So she goes there, and you can see all the women there in the catwalk, you know, uh, parading their scanty clothes. And, uh, may, and, and Paul and these three young Baptist preachers go there. And Lydia says, come and stay with us. Now, you think they should go and stay with this group of women? What do you think? Never mind. Paul did go. So he goes there and he stays with them. And their household gets converted. You remember that? Now, monotheism, one God. Polytheism, Rome's many gods. Hebrew, Latin. Male, dominant. Women, led. Slave girl, demon-possessed. No understanding of exorcism. Such a clash of civilization. And then he goes to his dream place. He goes to Athens. Paul, as a Jewish Pharisee of the Pharisee, educated in Greek culture, citizen of the Roman world, goes to the Areopagus. And he sees these gods. This big pantheon of gods. Many gods. A world of religions. How would he communicate the gospel? I don't have time to read it, but I'm sure you know the whole passage. But I want to read the Bible and highlight one verse. So would you turn with me, and then we can see how we can reach these religions for Christ. Acts chapter 17. I am so encouraged when I read this, of how Paul communicates to the pantheon, the many gods, in Areopagus. Verse 22, Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst 
This is Mars Hill, by the way, and I don't know how many of you have been to Mars Hill, but if you stand here, they've actually inscribed that whole text in the rock if you go to Mars Hill today. And you can actually see the Pantheon with Nike, which the statue is now cut off, but all the gods are there. Even now, you can go and see that. And Paul stood then, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very what? There's the word. You are seeking after God. He says, for I passed along and observed objects of worship. I found an altar inscribed, what? To the unknown God. Therefore, you worship as an unknown God. And I want to tell you who this unknown God is. Wow. Listen to this. The God who made the world. I love the article. The God. Not some Luke Skywalker force be with you stuff. This is the God. Personal God. Creator God. Who caused cosmos out of chaos. This God. And everything in it is the Lord, sovereign ruler and judge of heaven and earth. Wow. Talk about crashing on pantheism and monism and panentheism and all these other isms, schisms. He said, listen, he does not live in temples that are made by us, nor is he served by human hands. That's good. He says, you guys are doing all this, but that's good. Does he actually need anything from us? Because he is the one who gives us what? Life and breath and everything. This may shock you, but Paul in this passage never once mentions the cross of Christ. He starts with creation. Good way to start with people of other religions. I tell my students, start with common good. Second, Use common sense. And G.K. Chesterton was right. He said, the problem with common sense is that it's not common. And show them common grace. That's how you reach other religions. Paul does this in a marvelous way. He said, he made us from every nation to live on the face of the earth. He determined according to periods the boundaries of their dwelling that they should seek God. That's religion. But he's going to show us. I mean, recently I'm writing an article for a book that Zondervan will publish. Is uh, the God of Muhammad and the Yahweh of Moses and the God and Father of Jesus, the same God. Well, he finds out here. Do you know in Islam, Allah also determines evil as much as he determines good. Allah has mandated to behead the infidels. And he hates the prodigals who leave the faith. Do you know what Yahweh does? He runs to the prodigals. And he can't look upon evil. And he gives himself for us. Are they the same God? Think about it. But how would you know it unless you know study it? I wonder how many of you have read this passage and said, how am I going to communicate the God and Father of our Lord Jesus? He said, for in him we live and move and have our very being. By the way, Paul is quoting from pagan literature. And it's part of your Bible. Think about that. 
I'm not saying he, 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 he's giving the principle and pointing to the person and the power behind that. For him we move and have our being. He says, look at verse 30. In times of ignorance, agnana, many people don't see salvation as a rescue mission. They see the need for knowledge. He says, God overlooked. But, verse 30, now he commands all people everywhere to do what, church? Turn around. He says, it doesn't matter. And Peter says the same thing to the Jews. It doesn't matter what he did. God predetermined it. Okay, God allowed this. But listen, now, here's the good news. And he communicates that. Because, verse 31, he has fixed a day. He will judge the world. How? In righteousness. By whom? The man whom he has appointed. We know who that is. And Paul explains to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who's that? The man, Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Christ and the resurrection of Christ tells me because of the Christ event, God walked on our earth. And because of the ascension, a man rose from heaven above, interceding for us. That is the gospel. I wish I had time to exegete this, but I know your pastoral leaders are very good at this. There are four things that every religion I named are yearning for. These are philosophical questions. The great questions of every religion. Number one, questions of origin. Who are we? And Paul says, yeah, we are all creatures. We are distinct from God, but accountable to God. Share that. Second, every religion is looking for some purpose. Not only who are we, why am I here? You're like, yeah, Dr. G, I was wondering that too this morning. Yeah, well, there's a purpose. He says, you're all from Adam, but you've taken different paths, religion. You may be sincere, but sincerely wrong. Think about that. Third question is one of morality. Well, what's wrong with me? You say, my mom's always been asking that. What's wrong with you? Well, he says, you built your own altars. And these cisterns don't hold water. You are never satisfied. You know why? Because you're trying to reach God through religion. And Romans 5 and verse 8 says, while we were weak, while we were rebels, sinners. In fact, verse 10, while we were enemies, God commends his love towards us. See the directional difference? Religion is this way. Revelation is this way. Paul says the fourth question everybody's looking at is, in every religion, is destiny. Not just afterlife, but eternal, the quality, not just quantity of life here and now. Did you know that when you receive Christ, you get eternal life, not after you die, here and now. You have life. Why? Because Christ is our life. Anyway, you know this stuff, but here are the four reasonable questions that people ask. All religions seem to be superficially the same, but they are fundamentally different. 
Many times people tell you, well, you know, they think they're like superficially different, but they are fundamentally the same. No, it's the other way around. So here are questions. And I want you to think, and I don't know how we're going to do this, but here are four areas of questions when it comes to a theology of religions. These are at the cutting edge of academia. In other words, these, don't worry about all the fancy terms. If you're a ch simple churchman like me, uh, that's okay. But the first issue, Jesus among the other gods and salvation, is what we call pluralism. Pluralism begs the question, is salvation found in the many different religions? And pluralists usually say yes. There are many ways, paths, margas, to the same ultimate reality. My Baba, you remember that? It's all the same water that flows into different tributaries that end up in the same ocean. Pluralism. I want to say that most of us in America, particularly if you're from the state of fruits and nuts, California, you are probably a pluralist. You think, you know, hey, live and let live. Don't ask, what? Many ways, that's your way. Second is the whole issue of inclusivism. Can people get saved without the gospel? Or do they have to accept the gospel to be gay? Don't you think God, or Clark Pinnock says, the wideness of God's mercy can include other people? Why do we need to present the cross of Christ and the gospel? Here's three scenarios. Think about this. I don't know if you've written this already to Chris. For example, babies who die before the age of accountability. Have you thought about that? Do they go to hell or heaven? On what basis? Think about this. People in countries that I go, I'm now going to Russia to a Slavic area in Vladivostok. And we are witnessing to a family who've never once heard the name Jesus. Never heard the name Jesus. Now, downtown, town, what is this, Burke, is it? D downtown Burke, you, you have people... Who, who take the name of God in vain, right? That's the only way they've heard the name Jesus, in a swear word. You know, I go to places, they cannot even take the name of God in vain. You know why? They've never heard it once. Are they going to hell? On what basis? Here's another scenario. What about people who are severely mentally disabled, retarded, or whatever we used to say? Are they going to consciously repent? I mean, all kinds of questions, right? What about Mother Teresa and mental uh, and Mahatma? You know, Mahatma Gandhi is in hell, and Donald Trump is going to heaven. On what basis? You see what I'm saying? People ask this question in religions. These are questions I don't know if you have concerning religion that people ask questions about. The other one, I believe, Pastor Mark, this is the number one issue in evangelicalism today. It has little to do with sexuality. We've finished that stuff. Are you listening? I think the hot potato, and mark my word, in 10 years is going to be very much part of the churches. People now believe in universalism, which means what? Everyone eventually are going to be saved. They do not believe in a literal conscious hell. I'm talking about evangelicals. And you need to know what to do with that. And here's the final question, exclusivism. Is the one saved only through faith in Christ alone? 
Well, there are three non-negotiables I will deal with tonight, and let me put it very succinctly. I collaborate with all religions, but there are three things for me that are non-negotiable if I'm a Christian. And because I was mentored by a guy called John Stott, I deeply have a Trinitarian approach to Christianity. And it's the three R's of religion. Elijah, I don't know if you remember these three R's. These things for me are non-negotiable if you're a Christian. Number one, revelation. What the Father has said in his word. That I will not compromise. It is written because God has spoken. Father God speaks. Second thing that's non-negotiable for me is redemption. If there was any other way to go to God, why in the world did Jesus come? Think about that. You don't have to be complicated. What was that mission about? So what the Son has finished, tetelestai, it is finished, was his cry. And every cult wants to add to that. We talk about it. What the Father said in his word, what the Son has done on the cross. Number three, what the Spirit alone can do in our hearts by grace. Regeneration. Not renovation, regeneration. Those for me are the three non-negotiables. And when you study, next slide, I am very clear there's only two destinations. It's not just proverbial. It's true that there is a way, the way of Cain, that appears to be right. But the end thereof is what leads to death. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If it wasn't for those three words, every Hindu and Indian will be Christian. Because we believe in Jesus among the other gods. Not a problem. Jesus also. Jesus only is the problem. There is no other name. My final slide. If we have a world of religions, how dare we say there's only one savior? And that is the ekphas, the once and for all sacrifice. Every religion in the world has a concept of prayer, supplication, and sacrifice. Who told them that? Who told them? We have to break a coconut or cut a goat. Who told them that? Because that's how you approach God. But God, once and for all, has become the sacrifice. He has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. So God has a final word. He spoke with prophets and all that in all the time. But today he's spoken to us. And his final word is one word, salvation. Jesus means salvation. Our response is mandated to turn from sin, and I would add in our American context, self, and turn to Christ alone. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday celebration, and I said to Karis, when I die, tell the church to sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. I love that hymn. The story is told of Jesus, after he dies, goes to heaven. And the hosts of heaven welcome Christ and say, it is finished. That's great. And they are celebrating. And then there's a pause. And the angels say to Jesus, 
You finished the great plan, the grand theme of redemption. You've accomplished that. Now, how are you going to get the message out to the world so that everyone, every religion can come to this one Savior? What's your plan, Jesus? And the story goes, Jesus told the host of heaven, hey, look, look, look. And I was there two weeks ago. He says, look at that mount, all of this right there. You see those 11 guys standing around there? <laughs> they are the plan. There's silence in heaven. And then one angel very bashfully raises his hand. Sorry, church, angels are masculine. But, you know, he raises his hand. And he says, uh, Jesus, he must have been in the business committee. He says, I have a question. He says, we know these guys. They fight among themselves. They want to be the greatest. But in business, we usually have what they call a plan B, just in case this doesn't fail to reach these other religions and nations. Jesus, do you have a plan B? Jesus turns to the hosts of heaven and he says to them, there is no other name and there's no other plan. You and I are the plan to reach the nations. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for teaching us today. We are informed and we are inspired. Help us to be involved. And we'll be careful to give Christ all the glory for your name's sake. And all God's people said. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that wonderful?